0: We are repentant, we are grateful, we are redeemed, we are prayerful, we are First Baptist Church. Just like Pastor Danny said at the beginning in the video, I am Pastor Chris Johnson, uh, Senior Pastor here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio. I'm usually across the street, but I'm so grateful when I get the opportunity to come in here and be a part of our Lagos worship. Now before we get to the sermon today, we're going to begin by reading out loud our text for today. It's James 1, 13 through 18. So if you'll stand with me, let's read this aloud together. This then is the text for today. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Thus, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. May God bless the reading of his word. I have a bit of confession to make this morning. Uh, when I was young, my friends and I uh, did some things we shouldn't have done. And I'm going to share with you one of those things that my friends and I did that we shouldn't have done. You see, in the backyard, we had these two fruit trees or two orange trees that were big and beautiful and produced all kinds of oranges. And then as they would produce the oranges, we'd eat them, and they were wonderful. And as it would go through the season, uh, some other things would begin to happen either insects would get into them or birds would get on them and they would begin to drop to the ground and they would be covered in mold they would start to turn blackened and they would turn into this kind of this mush that sat under the tree and these blackened oranges that sat there were just something that no sane person would touch but something that a 13-year-old boy would just find fascinating and so we would gather my friends together, and we would pick up these rotten oranges. And we were trying to figure out what we could do with these rotten oranges. And so, you know, first you start to throw them at one another. But then, really, what we decided we were going to do is we got out a baseball bat. And the, the, our neighbor's fence behind us was, it was kind of like a green monster at Fenway, and so we would, we would take a baseball bat and we would hit these rotten oranges over the fence and into my neighbor's pool. And it was an awful thing to do. In fact, if I don't even know who those neighbors were. If I was, I'd need to apologize to them and confess to them. But so many of these, these oranges were just such mush that when they would hit the baseball bat, they would just disintegrate. But then the ones that wouldn't disintegrate would just go over the wall and we would go on about our business. And so I want you to to picture these oranges with me. At one point, these oranges are, are ripe and ready for eating, a pristine example of exactly what you want in citrus. But it doesn't take very long, and it doesn't take too many outside influences until the orange just becomes this deteriorated blob that sickens you just to look at it. Now, let's take a minute. Let's, let's step back from my childhood backyard and into the Garden of Eden. In fact, we'll, we'll have some scriptures on the screen. If you'll look with me at Genesis chapter 2, and we'll, we'll put them on the screen here with me. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. There's this beautiful picture that God in creation creates this world exactly as it should be. And as a part of this world, this is the Lord God planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. We'll continue on. Out of the ground the Lord caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. Keep going. Uh, The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, when we come to this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we don't know what kind of fruit that this tree bore. But for today... Let's picture that tree bearing an orange. You see, this tree helps us understand what God intended for us. And what you see in that that picture of the garden, every good fruit tree is there. Every one of those those trees is, is perfectly edible. And God allows life even greater than what Israel was going to get when they crossed over the Jordan River into the promised land. If you remember and think back when Israel crossed over to the promised land, it said that they were filled with just all kinds of fruit in the land. And it said that the grapes there were so big that they were clusters were so large that it took two men to carry these clusters of grapes back. And so it was this, this grand sort of place in the promised land. But Eden was superior. Eden was the promised land before there was a need for a promised land. And here in that, that, that land of perfect, God gave them one instruction. So look back with me, Genesis 2, 16 and 17. Let's let's bring that up. So God God said, so in all of this perfection, in all of this garden where you find all of these fruit trees, there's, there's only one thing that you need to know. And it says, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. You see, listen to what's happening here. God has told Adam, there there are countless fruit trees all around you that you can eat from. There's apple, there's pear, there's avocado, there's there's mackinaw, peaches. They're all right there in front of him. And know what's happening here. God tells Adam that this specific tree is off-limit because it brings death. See, God is saying, I bring life into the world, but there, there's one tree that you won't eat of because it brings death, and for, today, for today's purposes, that's an orange tree. Now, let's pause for a minute and turn back to James chapter 1, so our reverse text for this week. And there's two theological truths here for us in the Scripture that, that God wants us to grab a hold of and not let go. Now, for one... So what you see in in, uh, James chapter 1, as we start in verse um, 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. See, what we recognize here is that God doesn't tempt us. God wants us to succeed. God sets us up for abundant life. God fills our life with truth and with fruit. And, and, you know, we could chase our tails all day long debating why the tree of the knowledge of good and evil even existed there in that moment. But be that as it may, God gives full warning to Adam and, and God gives full warning to creation that there's no snare, there's no trick, there's no deception, there's no series of challenges to figure out what God wants. God makes it clear and he lays it out. This is exactly who you need to be. This is exactly what you need to do. And if you will, if you will follow me, life will flourish This is what we need to know when we're near to God and we're walking with God and we draw in with him, life blossoms. And this is the only place where life will blossom. This is the only place your life will flourish is when you are near to God and you are with him and you are growing with him and your roots are growing deeply into his word and who he is. And that's what God wants for you. That's what God intends for you is to grow in this and to blossom into the people that he's called us to be. You see, when you read the scriptures, God is unnecessarily forthright when it comes to his requirements of us. God lays it out clearly and plainly. This is what I expect of you. In the garden, he says, there's one thing I expect of you. Do not eat of the fruit of this tree. And that's it. There was no, there was no trick. There's no deception. He said, Adam, just follow me here and life will flourish. It says, if you eat of this tree, your innocence will be broken and your life will be taken. And as scripture unfolds, we see God being just as forthright throughout. In Exodus, we find God laying out the Ten Commandments for them. And then when they're broken, God lays them out again for them. He says, this is who I am and this is who I'm calling you to be. See, there's, there's no secret about it. And then we hear the compilation of all of them in Deuteronomy 6.4. There's there's nothing secret about God's desire for us. God makes it so that we might live if only we will listen to him. In fact, this this is what we need to hear this morning in this text. Jesus tells us exactly what we need to be about and who we need to be. You know, people ask all the time, well, what does God have in store for me? What What do I need to be doing and it's right here. It's in the text as you unfold the gospels and you read the words written and read. Jesus tells you who he calls you to be. Jesus says, this is what it means to be obedient to me. And we read part of it earlier in the confession where Jesus says, and Jesus points us back to Deuteronomy 6, 4. He says, if you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and your strength, if you love your neighbor as yourself, this is what I've called you to. See, people ask all the time, what does Jesus want of me? What is Jesus calling me to do? This is where it begins. It's in that love of the Lord and a heart for him and a love for the people that God has surrounded you with. And what you see is as the scripture unfolds, Jesus says there's there's ways to do this well, that if you will be repentant, that if you will witness, if you will disciple, these are the things I've called you to do. These are the things I've called you to be about. And if you will be obedient to these things, life will flourish. There's no, there's no secret. It's, it's simple, but it's difficult. And that's one of the things that we have trouble with. We, we think that it's, it's so simple it shouldn't be difficult, or we think things should be more difficult. Jesus should ask more of us. But this is what he asks of us. This is what he says to do. He says, church, be repentant. He says, church, be a witness for me. Disciple folks in my word and in experiencing me. And he says, if you will just do these things, then life will flourish. See, that's what he was telling Adam back in the garden. There's just one simple thing. And if you'll be obedient in this one way, life will flourish. Jesus has been telling the church all along the same thing. They just Follow me and life will flourish. The truth, the outline for your life has already been revealed in Jesus Christ. Now as we, we continue down, look down with me at James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. See, all of this good that is around us comes from God. Anything that is life-giving comes from the hand of God. Sometimes we we think we can conjure up circumstances by our own hands, but any aspect of our lives that gives us life or gives us hope or gives us grace or gives us love, these come directly from God himself. And God deserves the glory for those things. Every breath that we've ever breathed comes from the gift of, of our God. And so when we picture God here, we have these theological concepts that James is laying out for us, that God is the one who wants us to do well. And God is the one who will give you the power and wisdom and life to, to, to live it abundantly, to, to live it in a way that flourishes in sweet fruit as if your life is forever ripening. And that's what we need to picture this morning, that in Jesus Christ, life is forever ripening. It's forever coming to this place of hope and grace. But in spite of God's plenty and in spite of God's warning, Adam and Eve went in a different direction. So look look back with me at Genesis chapter 3. Let's go back to Genesis. See, as we get to Genesis 3, and we're going to compare this with with James chapter 1. So Genesis 3, uh, 1 here. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. See, the serpent of Satan asked a deceitful question. And... What we want to work on here, and what we want to notice, is that God's always going to put you in situations to succeed, even difficult ones. God's going to set you up for success and for life. God's purpose is to give you what you need to develop wholly. Satan, on the other hand, what you see coming out of this text, Satan deceives. and In fact, a simple question is a trap to ensnare you, to, to rip your flesh like a crow tearing into an orange. And see, the question that he has is, God said you shall not eat of any tree. And see what he's doing here. He's moving her eye off God's generous provision so that she'll notice what she doesn't have. And this is often what Satan does to us, that God gives us all these good and perfect things. And and Satan calls us to to imagine the things we haven't been given or to imagine the things that other people have so that our eyes are taken off the grace of God and his goodness for us and put on other kinds of things and turns our hearts to jealousy and turns our hearts to lust so that we might chase after those kinds of things. And this is always a problem for us. That whenever God blesses us in miraculous ways, and whenever He blesses our families in miraculous ways, we always seem to wonder why it wasn't more. We always seem to think we should have been given something greater. See, if God gave us a hundred apples, we would wonder why there wasn't an orange in the bunch. And this is the evil imagination of the heart. This is is where James is taking us. What you recognize is these kinds of things bubble up in your own heart and in your own imagination. And this is not good. This is not God. This this is taking you away from the things that God has in store for you. And you know, when you go back to to Genesis, uh, Eve has this this back and forth uh, with the serpent. In fact, she's swept away in Satan's lies of desirability and she falls into temptation you know, it, it's, it's like this. If, if we're going to assume that the fruit that she ate of was an orange, that as soon as Eve peeled it and took a bite of that orange, it was immediately as if it was turned into that blackened, rotten mush of an orange. And, and Eve, too, when, when, when she was disobedient to God, But she she didn't do what God had asked of her. She began to turn to that same kind of blackened, rotten mush. Even even though she couldn't notice immediately, she began to turn into this deteriorating version of herself caught between life in the garden and death in hell. And and even in her, you you immediately see the signs of deterioration. At, At first, so after she takes of it, she tempts Adam... Who then goes all in himself, and the two are confronted by God, and they, they both began to, to blame whoever's nearest. Look with me at Genesis three thirteen. So Genesis or twelve Genesis chapter three verse twelve. The man uh, the man said um, the woman who you gave to me uh, to be with me she gave me from the tree and I ate. Then thirteen. Then the Lord said to the woman, "What is this you have done?" and the woman said, "The serpent deceived me, and I ate." These are the signs of the deterioration that begins to take root. This is the death that James is talking about that begins to encompass our lives. See, if First, Eve tempts Adam and then then goes all in and and they're confronted by God and they both begin to blame whoever is nearest, where they're pointing at each other and they're pointing up at God. Adam even seems to say here, God, this is your fault. You're the one who made this happen. And and James takes us back and James says, this is not of God and God is not the one tempting you. In fact, look back with me at James chapter 1. And we'll look at 14 and 15. So James 1, 14 and 15. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. See, Scripture makes it clear that when we fall into temptation, we can't blame God for the temptation that we fall into. We can't even blame Satan. James doesn't even mention Satan. James says, take that off the table. When we fall into temptation, it is our own fault. When you are disobedient, it is your fault that you are disobedient to God. You can't blame your family. You can't blame your circumstances. You can't blame evil. You can't even blame God himself. When you are disobedient, it is you who are disobedient. You know, when we get caught up in the wiles of the world, we we like to think that we're okay. If if we stumble, it's somebody else's fault. Or, or, Or if we stumble, it's just the circumstances that we're in. This is the world that we live in, but that's just not the case. It's on you when you're disobedient. And when we are, for every moment of disobedience, we become more and more like that rotten orange, a tragic version of a person God meant for good. You know, when I think back to when I was a kid, and all those beautiful oranges on the orange tree, I, I can still picture those ones just laying on the ground in my backyard. That when, when you would pick those ones up off the ground, it would, it would just deflate, like the insides had been sucked dry by burrowing insects. And, and the outside is just marred by holes from, from bird beaks. And some of them would have mold on them. And, and the color was, was drained out of it like the orange should be laid in a casket. That if there was any life left at all in those oranges, it was, it was only for the scavengers of the insect world. What James is reminding us here is that in sin... And in disobedience, this is what life becomes. You, you slowly lose your colorful life and you're just swept away in death. And, and this is the only inevitable outcome of sin in the world. This is the only inevitable outcome of life without Jesus Christ. If, if we don't have Jesus Christ in, in our life, this is, this is all just going to turn into nothingness, just a pile of mush on the ground. You know, some of us, even in here, this morning, our lives feel like they should be left for the scavengers of the insect world. But 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 let's let's hold off on that. Though life feels that way when we're caught up in, in the, the pain of temptation and the heartbreak of sin. There is hope. And don't miss James 118. Look at look with me at James 1.18. In the exercise of his will. He brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a first fruit among his creatures. You see, this is the gospel story, that there is no life too far gone for God. That you know, if you picture the, those oranges laying beneath the tree that were a rotten mush, that there's there's no hope left, there's nothing out of them. Uh, Other than maybe getting hit with a baseball bat later. There's nothing left. But, But in our life, the gospel tells us and what Jesus Christ says, it doesn't matter where your life is at the moment. It is never too far gone for God. Though you're being ripped apart by scavengers, God can raise up bones from the valley. God can bring forth life out of the grave, restoring you to abundant life in Jesus Christ. That's what he has for you. Even in the midst of your own painful decisions, God can raise you up from nothingness into new life. You see, this is what James 1.18 is reminding us. The 118 is reminding us that God has known from the very beginning, even back in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, God has known from the beginning the pain that you would endure even at your own hand. God knew the pain you would be experiencing. And, and none of that is new. It's the same old thing. And that which you have fallen into, God can heal you in an instant and bring you life this very day. So that you'll be as a first fruit, that you'll be the crown of his creation, brought to restored life and brought forth by the word of truth. And what he's saying there, what that means in in, in a literal translation, brought forth is is this rebirth. It's a birthing language. And he's saying in Jesus Christ, you are reborn into new life. You're, You're brought up out of that miry existence into the hope of Jesus Christ. You see, and this is all found in the gospel, that you no longer have to live a disobedient life as a dead orange left for the birds, but you can be born again, precious and ripe and full of life. And so what, what kind of life do we want? Deteriorating or ripening? Do we want death or do we want life? Do we want famished or do we want fruitful? Because God has laid out the plan so that you might have life and have it abundantly. There are simple steps to handing our lives over to Jesus Christ so that we might know him and love him and be obedient to him and follow in the way that he has laid out for us. It's pretty amazing. We started at the beginning of the Bible where God gave us life. And what we see in the pages in between is how often we ruin that life. I mean, this is, this is what you find in the Old Testament, how Israel falls apart. You see how they're, they're caught in, in slavery in Egypt, and then you see as they form their own nation, it says time and time again. We saw this throughout the study of Judges where, where Israel would just forget who God was and they would, they would turn back to evil and, and then the nation would just deteriorate again. That, that whenever the, Israel would step away from God, it would just turn to death. But then God would raise up a judge and, and he would bring them back into life. And so you, you see that happen over and over in Scripture. This same cycle of sin tearing us down and God bringing life. We see it in the New Testament in the person of Jesus Christ. Where he came, he says he's going to raise us up. And then we get all the way to the end of, of Scripture. Look with me at, at the very last chapter of the Bible. It's Revelation 22. So look with me at that very last chapter. It's in the, the second verse, Revelation 22 two two. So as we come to the end and, and w- w- what you see is at the end, he says, Jesus says there's going to be this, this new heaven and this new earth and, and he says that in this new heaven and new earth you're going to see the throne of God and he says there's going to be like a river coming out of the throne of God and it's beautiful and it's life-giving and that's what's in the middle of the street. So Revelation 22a, in the middle of the street, he's talking about that river going through the middle of the street and on either side of the river, Was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. You see, for all the death and destruction that we have wrought on this earth, God is restoring. For, for all of the pain that we have found ourselves in, God is healing. And in the end, in this, this new heaven and new earth, there is, there's coming from the throne of God this healing for the nations and this healing for all of us. And may we find this healing in the Lamb of God because it's the only place that we're ever going to find it. It's the only place that we're going to find hope in life. It's the only way and the only time that you're going to be able to flourish and is when you are taking from the hand of the Lord, our God. And so may we find healing in this land. Let's pray together. Lord, we recognize that it is you who are good. God, you have given us many good things. You've given us life and you've given us breath and you've given us hope. And so, Lord, now as as we turn to the supper, Lord, we pray that you would give us grace. Lord, as, as we take of these elements, that you would show us your goodness and let us know and experience Jesus Christ. And it's in his name, the name that's above every name on this earth, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.